Let's uh, let's start out with a word of prayer. Tim, could you open us up in a word of prayer? <clears throat> As we come before you this evening, Lord, uh, looking forward to seeing what you have for us in, in the study this evening. Thank you for John as he's prepared and um, is leading us in that. And just uh, help us be able to be attentive to you and your word and what you have for us this evening. Just be with those. Um, right now, with my family and others who are not able to be here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's jump right into the lesson. Lesson number two, dare to take on giants. Dare to take on giants. And this is, uh, this is one of those lessons, uh, kind of opposite of Tim's lesson this morning. Uh, the ones that, well, this one's convicting as well, but it is kind of one of those hoorah, um, encouraging ones. Um, but it, yeah, it's also very convicting. But it, it does have that, that bit of encouragement to, uh, we can do this um, only through the power of Jesus Christ, but we can because all things are possible with him. Um, so lesson number two, dare to take on giants. So let's start out by reading, uh, let's just go ahead and read our text verse. I believe it's there in the front of your lesson. We'll go around the room. Um, so First Samuel seventeen forty-five through 51. So I'll go ahead and start. Um, I think it's in the very first. Did you guys all find that? All right. All right. Good. First Samuel seventeen forty five through 51. Then, Dave, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and, I'll, and take thy, thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall I know that the, that the Lord searches with all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. All right. So that is, uh, we're all pretty familiar with that. Uh, um, and you hate to call them Bible stories. But that record of, uh, of David and Goliath there, um, and pretty, pretty amazing, encouraging um, scenario. Um, so, yeah, Christians are, are usually willing to do small tasks for the Lord, but shy away from larger tasks. And often we find sometimes it's vice versa. Um, we just have a hard time of following the Lord and doing what is uh, asked.
Last of Us. We generally have our own, um, our own thoughts and our own willingness, and not we have a hard time just being willing to do what the Lord has. But tonight we're specifically looking at those large and, and bigger than ourselves giants kind of tasks and responsibilities. So we need to remember that we serve a God who is both omniscient and omnipotent. He is able to do great and mighty things. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So there's many records in the Bible um, where men have done some amazing things. Through, through the Lord, just unhuman kind of things. You know, you look at Samson, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, uh, just all sorts of amazing things that they went in the Lord's name, they knew it was the Lord's will. It was <coughs> kind of dumb and crazy for them to do it in the physical world and thinking and impossible, but they just followed the Lord, and they knew it, and they prevailed. Um, all, sorts of, all sorts of illustrations there. So we still have the same God today. So it was God who surrounded his prophet Elisha with an invisible army so that he could say, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, that would be me, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So in this lesson, we see David as a shepherd boy who was willing to take on an enemy who literally was a giant. So point number one, the what and the what. So we got our wordscape. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. My wife likes doing that. But if we're if we're really bored, we'll we'll play this game. So the challenge and the cause. So yeah, the words are scrambled up in here. If it has a two, your other words here. So this is the first one, second one. have to help me out here with the spelling. Is that right? All right. The challenge and the cause. Today's Christians face a myriad of challenges from the world. Instead of confronting these challenges, uh, we frequently ignore them or hope that someone else will respond. Yeah, how often am I guilty of that? Quite often. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29, we see David's personally we see David personally confronting these challenges as he asks the rhetorical question, is there not a cause? Subpoint A, David was what to take on the challenge? Willing. David was willing to take on the challenge. 1 Samuel 17, 26 through 28. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? 
one, who must thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know they pride in the naughtiness of thine heart. Thou art come down, thou mightest see the battle. So in this passage, we see that David was first willing to uh, speak up against the challenge, and then he was willing to act to defeat it. Notice that there was an entire army of seasoned men. Uh, this actually was uh, kind of one of the convicting parts of, of the lesson tonight. So there was, yeah, an entire army of seasoned men, soldiers, men older, more experienced than the young shepherd, who wanted absolutely nothing to do with Goliath. Yet David, perhaps the youngest boy on the battlefield, took the first action to defeat Goliath. David could have said, I am too young to face this challenge, or I am not trained for this, or I do not have the right equipment, or this is not my job. After all, he had not come to fight. His commission was to check on his brothers and bring them a care package from home. But David made no such excuse. His heart was stirred as he heard the blasphemy and defiance um, ensuing from the mouth of the challenging Philistine. He could not resist stating what was in his heart. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Today, God's people need to survey the home, the church, the workplace, the community, and look for challenges the Lord would have, um, look for challenges the Lord would have us defeat. Today, more than ever before, we are in need of those willing to stand up for Jesus. Uh, so it has an illustration here. In his entire career as a basketball player, I'm not sure if Dad knows this or anybody, but um, it doesn't say what time period, but John uh, Hondo, Hondo Havlick of the Boston Celtics, Probably, yeah. Have, there is no H in there. H-A-V-L-I-C-E-K. So it's probably it. I don't know. Okay. So John Havlicek. Uh, he was estimated, estimated on average of running over six miles per game. He was often asked how he had developed such amazing stamina. The answer was simple but surprising. While growing up in Ohio... Havlicek never owned a bicycle. When his friends would ride, Havlicek would run alongside them and try to keep up. This helped, him, this helped him to develop the ability to run for long periods of time, and ultimately it helped him later in life. Uh, so often, the very challenges of our lives prepare us for the future opportunities, but only if we will face and overcome those challenges as they come. And again, kind of relating this story to David and Goliath. You know, this is, uh, the Lord was preparing him for even something bigger than defeating Goliath, and that's his leading a crazy nation. So, it's uh, being faithful and doing those things. It may not even be this giant that the Lord has preparing, it has like your life for, but he may be even preparing you for something even bigger. The Bible promises us that God will never give us a challenge too big that we cannot handle. And as most of us know this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I believe it's 10. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But 
God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. So, as one of those known verse, but man, it's an encouraging verse. But we see yep, that God will never give us a challenge that is too big. Even in these times of crisis and difficulty, we can be assured that the Lord is preparing us for something much greater than ourselves. We, however, must be willing to first take on the challenge. David was what for the cause? Zealous. That Z kind of. You have a Z in there. There's many words that start with, or have a Z in them. L-E-O-U-S. I think that's right. No, where's the A? There's an A in there somewhere. E A. It's not a grammar. It's close. It's phonetics. I was spelling it phonetically. Listen. Right, yeah, see? <laughs> oh, boy. David was zealous for the cause. First Samuel chapter 17, 28 through 29. And when Eliab, the eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And, why, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, that thou might see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? So David's older brother, Eliab, and how often, or I can, yeah, think of a time I have done this a few times, probably embarrassed at David, uh, seeing him and his fellow soldiers fleeing in terror from the enemy, had some harsh words in verse 28. Yeah, and how often do we get convicted and embarrassed by somebody doing something maybe we should have been doing, and we get critical of them because it embarrasses us. So perhaps this is Eliab's <coughs> response here. But David's response was, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? It is an exciting thing when people truly have zeal, an enthusiasm, passion, fervor, and eagerness for the cause of Christ. In the Old Testament, Jehu said to Jehonadab, 2 Kings 10, 16. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Did I skip you, Andy? It's okay. All right, got on the next one. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said about Epaphras, Andy. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. When the Lord Jesus Christ forcibly expelled the money changers from the temple, um, quoting from... <laughs> John 2.17 and Psalms 69.9, his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. It is thought-provoking to ask ourselves, do we truly have zeal to help further the work of God, or zeal to help the people of God? Can people see our zeal for the Lord? One of the great sources of zeal is the recognition of the fact that God's arm will never fail us. With that assurance, we should understand that we can do all things through Christ, a reference to Philippians 4.13, and therefore we should serve him with gladness. And 
referencing Psalms 100 verse 2 in wholeheartedness, Colossians 3.23. Illustration in the first issue of his newspaper, The Liberator, abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison famously said, on this subject, talking about slavery, slavery, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. No, no. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of a ravisher. Tell the mother to gradually uh, extricate her babe from a fire into which it has fallen. But urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present. I am in an earnest. I will not um, equivocate. He's got some big words in here. And I will not excuse, I will not retreat a single inch, and I will be heard. May that be our passion for lost souls. As Christians today, we must be passionate and zealous to defend our God and and share his love. The world passionately promotes its sinful vices and therefore converts, um, converts searching people to its lifestyle. It is time for Christians to shine our lights and to share our zeal with those who are lost in the darkness of this world. Two, the what and the what. Courage and confidence. Close enough? Close enough. Okay. Now I'm second guessing myself there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this brain of mine. Well, so right under the courage and confidence, subpoint A. David had courage in God's presence. Oh, man. Okay. I should have had courage and confidence in that. It's doubting myself. All right. David had uh, courage in God's presence. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. Food is dead. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose again, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Saul said unto David, Go, the Lord be with thee. So David showed courage as a young shepherd boy when he chased down and killed the lion and the bear that had stolen away one of his lambs. He knew it was the Lord had enabled him to perform these deeds, and he un, 
um, unashamedly testified of this to King Saul. And going back to the previous point about zeal is there's you got to be careful what you have your zeal in. You know, there's a lot of zeal going on these days, but if it's not um, for the Lord and righteousness, you got to be really careful. Um, and you've got to be confident in cur- and have uh, courage in God's presence. So, yeah, David showed this courage in God's presence as he confronted Goliath on the battlefield. He declared that he was there in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 45. Notice although the armies of Israel had the same God as David, they cowered at Goliath's threats while David stood boldly and attacked the giant. All throughout the pages of scripture, we find the exhortation to be of good courage. We have great need for courageous Christians today, just as we have always just as we have always had. Those who have found courage in the companionship of a human friend will understand how much more the presence of God means in times of need. This type of courage was exemplified in the life of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was in Dothan when the Syrian army laid siege to the city in in their effort to take him. The people of the city and even Elisha's servant were terrified by what they by what they perceived as their impeding doom. But one man was not afraid, the man of God who knew and took confidence in God's protection. Elisha prayed that his servant would be able to see the horses and chariots of fire that were ringing the Syrian army. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Those who thought they had trapped Elisha were in fact trapped themselves by forces much mightier than they. As we ask the Lord to open our eyes to his presence in our lives, we will find the courage to do what he would have us to do just as David did. There's a pretty neat illustration here. Author Henry Millman tells in his book of History of Christianity about a man named, um, I am pronouncing it, Chris, um, Chrysotum. Chrysotum. Probably, yeah, I know it's not how you pronounce it, but we'll just say that. So Chrysotum, whose, whose name means golden mouth, was the greatest preacher, in, greatest preacher uh, 1,600 years ago. He was very popular with the people and a brilliant scholar. I was trying to think of where that puts him back. So, yeah, like early. Would that be in the hundreds? 16, yeah. Um, so very, very early preacher. Um, so he's very popular with the people and a brilliant scholar. Chris, uh, Chris Sodom, ooh, I'm changing it to Chris Sodom because that looks more right was bold when it came to be when it came to condemning sin and he was called before when, and when he was called before the emperor whom he had offended he threatened Christendom with the exile unless he apologized Christendom replied you cannot exile me because this world is my father's house i will kill you said the emperor no you cannot because my life is hid with Christ and god well i will take away your treasures 
No, you can't. For my treasures is in heaven, and my heart is there. The emperor, the emperor was furious at this point. I will drive you away from man, and you shall have no friend left. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, and there's nothing that you can do to hurt me. That's a pretty, yeah, <laughs> pretty neat, bold, bold zeal there that's strong and just in the right. It's a kind of a kind of an encouraging, encouraging thing there. Kind of like all of his responses, like you know, the Lord had to uh, had to been leading him right there because be able to come up with stuff like that is uh, just pretty neat. The presence of God brings unspeakable peace to a Christian's life. It is a source of comfort in times of trials. But in our daily battle against the world, in our fights against our Goliaths, the presence of God gives us irrepressible courage. Subpoint B, David had confidence in God's First Samuel seventeen forty five through forty six. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God. With full confidence that the God who had preserved him from the lion and the bear would be with him now, David proclaimed to Goliath, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. We as Christians must make certain our confidence is properly placed. Faith does not exist in a vacuum. It is placed in something. We live in a generation that trumps uh, that trumpets self-confidence as the answer. Men live by creeds such as, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. It's not, yeah, it's got all sorts of um, creeds and things people believe in and try to live by. Uh, the, another one he has, the power of positive thinking. Um, it's got a couple other ones, but all these, yeah, are, you find out it doesn't work for very long, and, it, uh, and they're just all misplaced. All, the, all those faith is just misplaced. Psalms 118, verse 8. Is that me? Uh, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. David drew his confidence, sustenance, and strength from the Creator, not from himself. Although the Apostle Paul had not penned, um, had not penned Philippians 4.13 yet, David certainly lived out the principles of being strengthened by Christ and of doing things through Christ. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. David would joyfully have echoed Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15.57 and 2 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 15.57 
But thanks be to God, which give, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Oftentimes we see men who are used by God attesting to the fact that they believe God. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 27.25. <clears throat> Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. David, Paul, and others down through the ages had confidence that they could depend on God's power. Although we would consider these great men, they understood that it wasn't their own strength from which they drew confidence. But instead their confidence came from God, which worketh in them, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. And it's another illustration, and I'm pretty sure we've all heard the story of George Mueller and just all of his great faith and his prayer uh, there for his, uh, um, his kids that he had at his uh, homeless shelter. And we learned about, was it Andy? I think Andy was talking about him in our prayer things. So it kind of gives a full-length story of, of um, when they didn't have any bread the one day, and George Mueller just had faith that, you know, the Lord's going to provide for breakfast. So he just prayed, thank you for this breakfast. And sure enough, breakfast shows up. And not just breakfast, but also some milk happens to show up. So... Uh, yeah, basically the God of our century is the same God of George Mueller, uh, also of Paul and, and of David. His supplies are infinite, his power is limitless, and we can have confidence that he still hears our prayers and moves on our behalf. Three, point number three, the what and the what. If you figured it out, they're all C's. Conflict and conflict. Ooh, I got the Q or the U after Q. I remembered a spelling rule, Mom. Proud of me. An E before N and chicken. It is a wonderful thing to win a victory, but we must keep in our minds that there is no victory without conflict. We must keep in our mind that there is no victory without conflict. Subpoint A, David used God's what in the conflict? Weapons. Weapons. Yeah. All the men say, yeah. <laughs> Except for right now when I'm trying to figure out how to spell it. Yay. Oh, that's right. David used God's weapons in the conflict. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 45. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, 
And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Whoops. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. I do like David's little comeback there. Of, yeah, big old Goliath looking at this little kid, and like, You coming with me with a stave? Am I, am I a dog? And then goes, you're coming to me with a sword and a spear <laughs> and a shield. And, you know, I thought that was pretty good. But certainly Saul meant well when he offered his armor to David. But for David, the armor of Saul would not have worked. And David knew it right away. He just didn't, or it just didn't fit. He had to use his own weapons. I was thinking, you know, a helmet of brass. Brass is really heavy. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine wearing a, yeah brass helmet. Hmm. So David's weapons were his shepherd's staff, his shepherd's bag, and his shepherd's sling. All that was necessary for the five smooth stones he gathered from the brook. He had used these before and found them to be tried, tested, and true. One of the greatest problems in Christendom today is the attempt to use weapons that are not tried and tested. Many of these means and methods that are being used today are not those that God has chosen and approved. They are, they are directed at pleasing man and not God. Now picture the scene of an armed in, of an armed and armored giant over nine feet tall, accompanied by his armor bearer, advancing on a teenage boy who had no armor, no shield, and seemingly inadequate weaponry. Saul had told David, "Thou art but a youth," but David's confidence was in the right place. If God was for him, who could be against him? Romans eight thirty one. If God be for us, who can be against us? As David knew his weapons, we also need to know our weapon. It was the weapon of the word of God that our Lord Jesus Christ used to combat Satan after his time of fasting. In Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. It is great it is a great challenge to Christians to be familiar with our weapon, the sword, the sword, the word of God. The Bible says about itself that it is quick, uh, alive, powerful, and sharper than, any, than a two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and a discerner, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You must also remember that Satan will twist the word of God as he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and again to Jesus during the temptation in the wilderness, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. 
making it vital that we have a deep understanding of the word. God's word is a weapon that has the power to change people's eternal and daily lives. However, Christians fail to use this weapon on a daily basis. God calls us to read and meditate on his word. Psalms 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And God calls us to share his word with the world. Mark 16, 15. Return to them, go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And an illustration of just how powerful uh, the word of God is and can be. Um, it has kind of a comical illustration here. A missionary in Zimbabwe was passing out New Testaments in town. One man insisted that if he took the New Testament, he would use it, he would use its pages to roll cigarettes. The missionary agreed to give it to him under one condition, that he would read each page before rolling it and smoking it. Almost two decades later, the missionary again crossed paths with a cigarette roller. But this time, the man was giving his testimony at a Christian meeting. He told about the missionary who had, give, who had given him a New Testament under the condition that he would read each page before he smoked it. And uh, so, quoted here, he says, After I smoked Matthew, Mark, and Luke, <laughs> I started into the book of John. When I got to verse 16 of chapter 3, I got saved. Now I'm a full-time evangelist. Pretty funny, but pretty crazy just how powerful the Word of God is. It speaks for itself. Uh, David gave God the what in his conquest. Glory. I was trying to trick you guys with this one by not mixing it up. Apparently it didn't work. Oh, well. oh. Hey, yes. Got some of this. So David gave God the glory in the conquest. First Samuel seventeen, forty six through forty seven. I don't remember. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day. And the fowls of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It's just amazing how many times in that verse that he gives credit right back to the, right back to the Lord. And one of the most powerful phrases in all the pages of Scripture is David's statement to Goliath, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. What David did at this time and place, he did because he knew that there was a cause and because he wanted everyone everywhere to know who the real champion was. David's proclamation that the battle is the Lord's is as true today as it was then. With that, David ran to meet the advancing Philistine and unleashed one stone from his sling. God guided that stone to the perfect place in Goliath's unguarded forehead, and the giant fell at David's feet. <clears throat> Instead of beating his chest and proclaiming his own skills and might, David gave God the glory for the victory. 
As Christians, we need, we need to make sure that we are giving God the glory for all that he does. The credit for souls being saved does not belong to us. The credit for our talent does not belong to us. As the battle is the Lord's, so is the victory and the praise. Jesus reminded his disciples of this truth in John 15, 5. For without me, you can do nothing. Uh, David understood this when he stated in Psalms chapter 18, verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So those verses kind of reiterate what Dad has been um, you know, preaching and, and saying of just everything is given to us from the Lord. We are nothing in, a, in and of ourselves. You know, if we put, if we started out with absolutely nothing, we would just be not even a body in space. You know, we wouldn't be anything. So it's, it's the Lord who created us and gave us everything. So we've got, we've got to realize that sometimes. Uh, just as David gave God the glory for slaying his giants, versus for slaying his giant, we must deflect any praise we received for God's blessings back to God. In conclusion, 1 Samuel 17 begins with Goliath holding his head high in pride and blasphemy. Kind of gory, but again, comical. Saying here, but the chapter ends with his head punctured by a relatively small stone, separated by his own sword from his huge body, and held in David's victorious hand. This familiar story ought to remind us that we still have the cause, uh, the same cause, and that through God we can both um, we can have both courage and conquest in our present battles. Even today, we must find our strength in the Lord and use the armor and weapons He has provided for us. Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through eleven. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Dead. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The spiritual battle for the cause of the Lord is not over. It is now. The question is, will we be like David? So, we'll go ahead and... That is the end of the lesson. I don't have. We'll, we'll just go over a couple of the questions here. Um, we'll go to question two. Why did David believe God would protect him and give him victory over Goliath? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The Lord does many, many answers to that, but. Yeah, he's already had that confidence in the Lord and just doing what the Lord has showed him and being willing to do those things and loving his sheep like that. And then he, he just had the confidence that the Lord would do the same thing. Um, and he knew his cause. He knew what the cause was. Um, let's see. Let's go to... Question five, what are important causes Christians could involve themselves in today? A lot of answers to this. Souls. Souls, 
there not a bigger cause for Christians today? So those are souls. Those are little souls. Yep. Uh, Question number six. Why can we have confidence that God will be with us as we fight his battles? All right, well, yeah, what is the main weapon God has given us to fight the spiritual battles we face today? Question number seven, the Bible. Um, what, better, what better weapon could we have? Uh, the inspired word of God. All right, we'll, uh, we'll stop right there. Pastor, you want to come up and close us? I guess the big big word to me today was zealous and just uh, let God overtake you. You know, I was trying to think what what got over David. It wasn't didn't seem like it was something God said to him. This is going to happen. He has the word of God on it and was acting on that. It just seemed to be that what we know of David was he was a man after God's own heart. He developed confidence in things. He looked at things in a whole different aspect, and and, a, and the Holy Spirit must have just got over him to to do such a such a thing, to have such confidence. And so I think just being close to the Lord is what we need to be, where all, all of a sudden we'll get that that zeal. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your lesson tonight on David, uh, the second message. Uh, we are in the battle and it is the exciting part of seeing how you took care of the battle that is the battle is yours uh, Lord may this impact us in our lives as we go out and battle Goliaths out there Lord God of untruth and, and, uh, and persecution and different things Lord God that we'll face Lord help us to have the courage to, to go out and stand for you, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.